podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the ten best English language podcasts about Fiorentina on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Hot off a phenomenal game here with Fiorentina. Back to talk everything Viola. Tito, have you come off of that high yet? Mike, no, I have not. I have been breathing into a paper bag for the past <laughs> several hours and also sketching my Patrick Cutrone tattoo that will go across my face. And I'll tell you what, it looks beautiful. How about you? Well, Iron Mike, we're going to start calling you now soon. Uh, wow. Holy cow, was that something that all <laughs> Fiorentina fans are just not conditioned to think about. The fact that we can actually run that ball back at the end, last minute, actually score that, a minute past the five minutes, oh my goodness. It, it made me jubilant, but also probably took two years off of my life from celebrating so rapidly. Oh my goodness, it, it was amazing. Absolutely well, amazing. And speaking of taking years off your life, Mike, what are you drinking tonight? Let me level with you a little bit. Had a couple friends over here. We're, we're doing a pool party with the kids. Friends that are going to be going over with me over uh, to, to Florence and Tuscany in, in April. So uh, we, we did a little bit of a journey here. We started off with the Brunello. Then we went to the Rosso de Montalcino. Then the Bulgari. And then we settled with the dessert wine, the Vin Beato. Four bottles of wine down amongst a couple people. We had a really good time. Jumped like little kids once Fiorentina scored the equalizer. It was all worth it. Amazing. How about you, bud? Nothing that good, I can tell you that right now. Dang, man, now I'm just embarrassed. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a glass of the Foro Amaro because it is the most granddad drink I can think of to settle my nerves after all of that. If it makes you feel any better right now at this point, all I'm doing is drinking Aquapana just to uh, try to get some water back in the system. <laughs> uh, someone's ready for Monday morning. Yeah, it has to be. Do you want to break down that game that we watched a couple of hours ago, Mike? Because I would like to break down that game that we watched a couple of hours ago, Mike. It really, really, it all comes down, in my opinion, this game was the opposite of everything that we know Fiorentina stands for. Fiorentina is normally getting ahead in a game, a goal, maybe two goals, and then we're giving that up and we're either letting other teams equalize or finish ahead of us at the end of the game. I was sitting here in my living room telling my buddy, there's no way. Fiorentina is not going to come back and score. There's no chance, none whatsoever. And at the end of the game, my goodness, Chiesa, we've been waiting for this. Thank you. My man, thank you. To Catrone. Yes, you're not Vlahovic. You're Catrone. <laughs> and this game, you were better than Vlahovic. You, you, you proved all of the doubters wrong, me included. You saved 
so, so much. For all of us, one point means so much. Oh, my God. Thank you, Catrone. Oh, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I could not agree more. It is so fun to see Fiorentina get a result from a game they absolutely don't deserve to get a result from because they haven't done that in years, it feels like, since the first time Vincenzo Mantella was on board. That said, I would like to go back to what you were talking about there and highlight our Lord and Savior, our prodigal son, Federico Chiesa. Started from the bench after a few bad games and looking at the comments on Viola Nation on pretty much every story we've written over the past two weeks and listening to commentators everywhere else. Everyone's saying that, oh, he's terrible. He's terrible. He's never going to be a good player. And Chiesa came on and provided the match winning. Sorry, not winning, even though it really did feel that way. Oh, I celebrated like it was winning. Oh my God, right? He's jumping up and down like, I'm not sure what else jumps up and down like I jumped up and down, but I'm sure my downstairs neighbors would love to make a comparison. But yeah, he finally played like the player we wanted him to play for a little bit there. And it feels like vindication. It absolutely is. Federico Chiesa, uh, you know, this is such a love-hate relationship at this point. I feel like how much that, that we fought for this kid kid still kid to stay in Firenze we have as a fan base global local we have fought for this kid to stay in Firenze don't go to Juve don't go to Inter don't go wherever we wanted to keep him here why because of moments like this we need these moments and hopefully a moment like what happened today is a match and that match is going to catch on fire and it's going to burn all of those other subsequent matches. And, and we're going to see the Fetty that we saw at the end of this game, the passion we saw celebrating going to carry us into the next few games. Cause we need it. We so need it. Oh my God. Yes, we need it. And nobody has ever doubted his passion. The man wants to play the game. He wants to win. I think he's probably harder on himself than anyone else is. If you ever watch him when he makes a mistake, it looks like he's just been stabbed. He's, it just looks like it tears him up. But you did mention right there the idea of him moving to Juve or Inter. And it sounds like there's another possible suitor in the running now. Maybe even two coming from a cold, damp island to the northwest. <laughs> what do you think about all that? All right, well, let me, let me just say this. Pre-game, during game, post-game. A couple different stories here. When I saw the rumors the past day and a half that Man U tabled a 50 million pound, which off the cuff here, 58 to 60 million euros is what, what I assume it equates to. 58 to 60 million euros, based off of the performance we've seen the first few games post-pandemic, my first reaction was Bonnie and Clyde. Let's start taking that. Let's rob <laughs> the bank and let's run before somebody catches us. That's what it was. Like, who's oh, going to give us $60 million? Who's going to give us $60 million for this kid right now? I heard. I heard what you were saying. And I agree 100% with what you were saying. He gives his heart out every game. 
but it just didn't seem like it was equating to performance. Now let's strike that comment right there. I still believe he should have started the game. In my opinion, Fiorentina live and die, live and die with Fetty. And we didn't start him, my opinion, shame on Beppe, but okay, he played it the right way. He brought him in later. And, and Fede put that ball, Catrone slotted it right in. That's the way that we played. That's the way that we leveled. Could we have won if he started? Yeah, you know, hey, I'm happy with the point. I'm happy with the point. 50 million pounds to Man U. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. We're, we're talking about, again, 58 to 60 million euros. That's what they're talking about for Belotti. So do I want to trade? Chiesa for Belotti is the question in my mind. Unfortunately, at this point, even post-game, I'm going to make that change, and I'm going to regret this. I know I am. I know I am. I still love Fetty, but I still watch the past few games post-pandemic. As I said, I know where our weakness are. Our weakness right now is, is in that forward position. We had Kwame starting there, and, and as good as he looks, I, I still think he's a support for the first forward. So that means we need, we need a Belotti type guy. I, I don't think it's Kutrone. I don't think it's, it's Vlahovic. I'm, I'm the biggest Vlahovic fan there is. That is you true. Know that. Uh, I don't think it's him yet. Would I trade Chiesa for Belotti right now? Yes. What are your thoughts, bud? See, I go the exact opposite direction there. I think that Kuame had a fantastic game today. Obviously not fully match fit. This was his first start in, man, I didn't write down how many days, but it's close to 200. And you could see that he was a step slow sometimes. His touch was off sometimes. Mishit a couple of shots. But he is clearly just a step above everyone else. Agreed. In terms of intelligence of positioning, because he was always in the right place, and his knack for dropping deep to pick up a ball and then spread it wide to a wing back, that's the kind of dynamism we have not seen in a forward in Florence since the demise of my godfather, Adrian Mutu. You want a moment? You want a moment? Uh, yeah, no. Would you mind? I need to... Honey, <laughs> oh, I love you so much. <laughs> Again, let's throw it out there. Adi, come on our show. We'll interview you. Anyway, sorry, I'm good now. Thank you for that, Mike. That was really considerate. I really think that Kwame could be that main striker. I think that he is I think that he is a couple of months away from finding that full match fitness and becoming the finisher that he was before the injury. Keep in mind that he was scoring like a demon when he was in Genoa. And yeah. that kind of knowledge of where to be and how to finish that doesn't go when you get hurt he still has that it's just a matter of his body catching up now i think so to me finding a new forward is not the most pressing issue to me having someone who can stretch a defense like chiesa can is much more important than having another central presence like belotti Again, I holy smokes andrea belotti is a fantastic player there are maybe what eight to 15 teams in the world that he would not improve. But also, I don't think that he would improve Fiorentina 
enough to be worth getting rid of Fede for me. Hmm. Okay. To me, the philosophy of building a team is you you look at your 11 and you look at your top subs and you figure out where the weakness is and you improve that weakness more than anything else. So if you have a strength, which current form aside, Chiesa is, but I think that you don't look to upgrade a position where with Kwame and Vlaovic and Cutrone, you have plenty of quality. I think you look to upgrade elsewhere on the pitch to support those guys and everyone else. So let me ask you this. We're now four or five games post-pandemic. We saw a goal come from Cutrone uh, in the last 96 minute. We just saw two goals come from the penalty. We're not seeing goals come from the field of play. So in your opinion, where is the weakness if it's not the center forward? If it's not that position, where is the weakness on the pitch then? I would say it's the creativity. I think the strikers have not had the chances. I mean, look look at how Fiorentina has been generating attacks recently. It's just get it wide and cross or give it to Franck Ribery and hope that something really cool happens afterwards. Which it is does not happen. a yeah, it has happened, but I don't think that's a very sustainable approach. Not at all. Not at all. Because because the guy is older than both of us combined. The odds that his hands are really old. <laughs> we're we're no we're no spring chickens either, bud. Hey, Bok Bok, man. Bok Bok. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think to me the the biggest need in this team is more creativity. I really hope that adding Sofian Amrabat, who for me was the man of the match in this Fiorentina Hellas Verona game, I thought that he was head and shoulders above everyone else on the field. I think that he could definitely help that. I'm hoping that a fully operational Gaetano Castrovilli will improve that. And getting Alfred Duncan back from suspension definitely won't hurt. But I think that you want more creativity in those wide areas. Chiesa definitely offers that. Ribéry, who is insanely creative and a fantastic player, doesn't really offer that threat of pace like Chiesa does. And I think it's no coincidence also that in the past two games, Chiesa has played 90 minutes across those two games. He played the first half against Cagliari, and he played the second half here against Hellas. And in both of those games, Fiorentina looked terrible without him. And it's because defenses respect what he can do. They know that he is a quality player. Just his presence in that wide right area. Defenses know that a ball in behind, he can do something that will kill them. He can get the ball to feet and kill them. Once he's on the field, it changes the whole complexion of the game. There, there's no one else on, on this roster who does. Here's my last thought on Chiesa. Here's my last thought on, on the game. In, in my opinion, Chiesa can actually overrule this entire conversation by coming out and saying, I want to stay, which we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, and it frustrates me to no end, frustrates me to no end, to want to root for a guy and, and see my kids, my daughter, my, my two boys, you know, ask who's the best player on the club and, you know, can we get a jersey and, and who should we get? Am I going to buy a Chiesa jersey for a kid who's going to be leaving the club soon? 
come on, you know, we want that player that we want to cheer for. Chiesa is clearly a skillful player, but I honestly, emotionally, cannot buy into him as much as I was a year ago, knowing that a year later we're, we're just another two years away from him leaving us without a dime. Just, just renew, just renew. And you can put in a contract in there as far as, you know, a $70 million bio clause. Go ahead, put it in. But still, renew your contract. You know, commit to the club. And then if you want to leave at some point later, okay, I get it. I get it. I don't, I don't expect Chiesa to stay around unless, unless Fiorentina perform well, unless Rocco Camiso puts a team out there that's going to perform for European standards, which we're not there yet. But Oh, buddy. But we need to start somewhere, and, and Chiesa needs to realize that he's that somewhere. You're dead on with that assessment. And I think also that probably Chiesa is doing what we're all doing right now and waiting to see what happens next with this team. Podcasting? With, yeah, you know what? Fiorentina <laughs> podcast. Fede, start it up. Actually, let's be real. This would absolutely be Federico Ceccherini running the podcast. Yeah. I bet he would be fantastic at that, him and Venuti. Yeah. And uh, Casera standing in the background without a shirt. Yep. I mean, isn't that really all he does? Which, again, if I looked like that, I wouldn't wear clothing ever. God, he's he has the hair. Yeah, pretty much everything below the hairline, though, is sadly lacking. <laughs> I, my God, he's a handsome man. Right, tangents aside, I think it makes a lot of sense for Chiesa to wait to commit his future to this club until he sees what comes next. With all respect to Giuseppe Iacchini, I don't <laughs> think that he's the long-term solution here. No. And I think that it makes sense for a player of Chiesa's potential and ability to hang on and see what comes next. If you get a few top-class players, an Andrea Belotti, say, or a top-class 10 or another winger to take some of that creative burden off of him. And if you get a really good coach, a proven winner, oh, let's just say Luciano Spalletti. Spalletti. Hey, look at that. Yes. Now in stereo. I think yeah. that probably goes a long way towards telling Chiesa that, yeah, this team is serious. You could be a huge part of that. I think if we see the team bring in Marco Giampaolo as the coach and just plucking a name from the ether, Andre Duda, who I hear will be arriving in Florence at any moment now, <laughs> I think that Chiesa is probably going to leave. And I think that makes good sense for him. I really do think it depends on what happens this summer. And I agree with you. that That's all we can say about it. I think we just need to... A- Set the record straight that we've been on the uh, Spalletti wagon for a very long time. And we should be given the first interview once he uh, takes over the club in uh, August, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. I think so. I'll even buy him a trip to the Barbers for that. Changing gears a little bit now. And it's, we, a, it's a gear we need to change. It is. Because we're going to talk about a Fiorentina team that wins and beats yes. the doors off of people. We're going to devote the rest of this podcast to Fiorentina women's because they are so much fun and so exciting and so good. And man, I love this team so much. Mike, can you begin to describe how awesome this team is? Honestly, I can. So 
I think at this point, people that follow us, that listen to us, know that that I've been able to actually attend quite a few practices and games. The Stadio Gino Bozzi, I've had, you know, I hate to say the word infatuation, you know, because women, and then it gives a, you know, probably a, a negative connotation. But I, I've had such a deep-seated reason to to cheer for these women since since I've followed the club, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I really actually pushed back quite a bit on a lot of the people back in Florence. A lot of the people that I know over in Florence, a lot of writers, a lot of fans, a lot of the viola clubs, the ultras, that refuse to follow the Fiorentina women's just because they're women. I find that there's no lack of pace, there's no lack of skill, and guess what? There's no lack of passion. You are so close to the pitch. You are so close to the energy. You, you feel such a part of everything that's going on in the game. And guess what? My biggest irk right now is that we don't have a great coach. Guess who does have a great coach? Fiorentina Women's. Hey. Coach Antonio Cincota is not only a great coach, but a great life advisor. You follow him. And you follow the advice that he gives to you on how you should live your life. It's going to be a good life. No doubt about it. Oh, man. Going back to the support part, too. I know a lot of people talk about, like, oh, Fiorentina women's. It's not the same. They're not really Fiorentina. I would argue they're more Fiorentina than literally anybody else at the club. Because they are wearing the colors and playing their hearts out every week. And they're not even really getting paid for it. To, 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 to say that this is not the real Fiorentina is to miss the whole point of the sport. And anyone who says that is wrong. If you are anti-Fiorentina women's, go ahead and click out of this podcast. We don't want you listening. There's a lot of those people out there, and it's unfortunate. And I think it's less of a global thing than it is a local thing. Over in Italy, not only do, do, do the actual structure of Italy have issues with women being in a professional sport, but so do the fans. And what should be driving women to being professional is the fans. And you're not having that uproar of, of people just being pissed off at the structure or lack thereof for the women to actually be showcased in the way that they are, because they're such skill. Again, I've seen practice. I've seen games I've seen these ladies play together. My goodness, they are absolutely amazing. And you cannot tell me that there's more skill on the men's side. Yes, you can, you can definitely convince me that there's more athleticism, there's more strength, there's more speed. I'll give you that. Not more skill. The skill on the women, they are so precise in their passing. They are so precise in their movement because it has to be. You watch a game and you see precision. The skill on that women's team is absolutely amazing. And that's what Antonio Cincota teaches, is is the movement, the passing, the precision. Everything has to be accurate. Everything has to be concise. I love that about the game. You know what Fiorentino women's reminds me of tactically more than anything else when I watch them? Is Atletico Madrid, the men's side circa... I don't know, 2015, those Diego Simeone sides that played 4-4-2 and played this 
just a hair on fire game with everyone tearing around the pitch for 90 minutes. And it looked like they were just spoiling things, but they weren't. When you watch them for a little while, you realize that these long passes forward, they're not just aimless clearances. These are very intentional passes that are designed to put good players in space and begin passing moves. I I love what Jinkota does tactically with this team. They're so fun to watch. It's special. It's so vertical. It's so quick. You have fantastically skilled players in that front four, the two strikers and the two wingers. They're so good. Even with a few notable absences for next year, which we are going to talk about because it And you brought up Atletico sad. Madrid. You brought oh, it hey, up. Look at that. Another segue. Here we are, podcasters, doing mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah, I suppose that does provide us with a pretty clean entry into the exit of Ali Aguanyi from Fiorentina, which is the biggest failure on the part of the infrastructure of Italian women's soccer that I can imagine. Let me say this, and I mentioned this before. I'm, I'm a member of, at this point, the first, and I still believe it's the only club supporting and only women's team over in Italy, the Fiorentina Go Women's. So as, as such, I participate in many of their conversations. I participate in many of the posts and, and dialogue that's happening. And to be honest, because there isn't much that's carried from a news standpoint over in Italy, that's where I get a lot of the information that I get. There was a, a split group on Ali Aguani. And I'll tell you where I fit on that. I'm with you. I, I think that what happened with Ali Iguani has more to do with the systemic issues inside of Italy, how they treat women as far as professional athletes, as far as treating them for pensions and benefits, so on and so forth. And here's a lady who has given everything, everything to the city of Florence, starting with, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, you know, getting into the professional aspect. And then when, when Fiorentina actually built a club and under the Della Valley came in and, and, and was the showrunner right there. And then last year, deciding when Rocco Camiso took over the club, she was going to stay on. She became the bandietta. She did everything she possibly could. But here's the aspect. She is a woman with incredible skill and incredible talent. If she could play the violin, if she could play the piano, she would be able to go to all of the world's best orchestras. She would be able to sell out concerts. She would be able to make so much money. And she has every right to, in my opinion. What she's doing right now is not her heart. She wants to be in Florence. I can tell you that what she's doing right now is doing what's best for her, trying to earn three years of a professional contract after living in Florence and getting away with essentially earning, not minimum wage, you know, because again, with the way that they're structured, they're still making a little bit more than that, but they're not professional athletes. We need to treat them better. So I, I wish her well. I wish she could have stayed, but it's not her fault. This is something we've seen a little bit of around and heard from fans that, you know, oh, Ali Awani is just a 
a mercenary and she's just in for the money. No, Ali Wanyi is trying to make a living and having spent more than a decade as a top class professional, as one of the three best right backs probably in the world, yep. who has never been paid as a full professional, I think that she probably deserves a few years of earning what her talent deserves. And the fact that people are saying that she should have stayed and been essentially a semi-professional player for as good as she is, those people have no idea what they're talking about. That is stupid. Ali Aguanyi has given so much to this club, more than any player I can think of, especially for the women's side. She has earned the right to do whatever she wants with her career. Anyone who thinks differently can go pound sand. I agree. Can't say it any other way. Now that we've got that out of the way, whoever's still listening, who we haven't scared off, <laughs> I think that might be the most heated I've ever been on this podcast. And rightly so. Rightly so. You have to defend oh, you have absolutely. to defend your legends. You have to yeah. defend your legends. Yes. But also the fact that Wanyi has left and then there have been a few other departures too this summer yeah. that are a little bit concerning. Yeah. Ilaria Maro is the big one, moving to Inter Milan. And, and then Alicia Parisi, who is not signed on anywhere, but she has terminated her agreement with Fiorentina. And all of a sudden, this squad looks a little bit thin. Mike, should I start panicking? First of all, because I know Hasanka listens to this, let's uh, also put in there that Paloma's leaving. Uh, okay, was, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you have to. And, and she, was, she was a very good contributor to this team. And she was from a culture standpoint she was great for the club such a great personality i know oh, everybody sure. that i spoke with absolutely loved her so sorry to see paloma leave i know hasanka is very sad shout out to hasanka <laughs> yeah rome is getting a good one very much so very much so listen having spoken to quite a few people at the club this was pre ali Aguani announcing that she was leaving and and i i honestly think that a lot of people at the club thought she would be staying but nobody was surprised to hear that she left. When you take into consideration that we are getting another Italian striker who's a legend in Miss Sabatino coming from Sassuolo, an Italian national, I hate to say it in a way where we're talking about Ilaria Mauro for Sabatino. I believe that it is, and this is not my belief, this is belief off of what I'm being told. It's a net net positive. Let's take into consideration that Miss Benetti, Tatiana Benetti, just re-upped. That is the biggest news because aside from, yes, we had, we had the three, we had that triumvirate, and we talked about it in our preview last year, the triumvirate of Mauro, Parisi, Ali Aguani. They're all gone. But the best player on the team, in my opinion, has been Tatiana Benetti. Fair. We re-upped. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. We re-upped her for another two years. We took a look at a couple other players and renewed their contracts. Very young players that actually came up through the Fiorentina ranks. Very, very important. Uh, when you take a player like Sabatino, who is a lifelong Italian national, an Italian player who's, who's been around with Sassuolo for a while, what she brings to the club, in my opinion, is going to boost us up. Only up. We're taking a look at, and again, a lot of these players aren't 
announced publicly yet, but we're, we're taking a look at players from Arsenal. We're taking a look at a, a couple players from Germany. One of them is Claudia Neto. That's some, some, again, older players who have been around on the national circuit. That's some players who have great skill, who understand how to control the game, and in my opinion, are going to boost us up tremendously. So, yes, I understand that we lost three, and then we bring in Paloma, four very good players. In my opinion, I think that there's an opportunity for us to still challenge just below that Juve level, which means all we need is top two, and we see that this year, to get into the Champions League for five straight years. I believe that we have the opportunity to challenge AC Milan, to challenge Roma for the second spot. What I'm really worried about, though, is just tactically bringing in Sabatino when Lana Cleland should be healthy by the start of next year. And let's not forget that Lana Cleland is a phenomenal player. She's led the league in scoring before. Her hold-up play is amazing. Do you think that she can play with Sabatino? What will that do to Benetti, tactically, do you think? Is that going to push Benetti back out to the wing? Do you think that Cleland and Sabatino can form that front two in Chincota's 4-4-2? Or do you think that they're too similar? I think that they're going to be similar. And I think they're going to be complementary. I think that they're going to help each other. You know, there's a healthy competition that will be brought about as a result. So, yes, when you talk about Lana Clellan, she's a great player who's coming off of a very serious injury. I've seen her at practice. She's, she is as in touch with the team and the players as anybody else could be. Like, oh, she's there's so a spirit. Cool. She, there's a spirit about that girl that nobody else can touch. She's the queen of Scotland. Uh, she, she really is. She really is. You know, what she does inside of that team, I think, is, is something that's so very important and something that nobody else can touch. Even though we're losing that triumvirate, she really is somebody that can hold it together. So I think that there's going to be a competition, healthy one, that's brought about at that top. But no, I, I think you have to keep Benetti there as, as somebody who's going to support that that main forward, that main striker. The way that she has a knack of finding that ball the way that she has a knack of honing that in and putting it in the net is unmatched yeah. it, it really is amazing to watch her find ball hunt ball shoot ball like that's just the way she she's a terminator she really is a terminator she is. on the pitch one of the things that i really enjoy about her is that she's not very tall not at all Five foot two, which is something like 140 odd centimeters, I think. Not tall at all. Not and I think tall. people have used that as a knock against her before. And she still pops up to score headers because her, her appreciation of space, her ability to anticipate where the ball is going to be on a cross is simply unmatched. And she's lethal in the area. 14 goals this year. She's second in the league. And frequently playing from out wide rather than as a pure striker she is just incredible i don't want to criticize the azure setup but the fact that she has so few caps i think is a real failure on the part of the talent spotters for the national team okay so with sabatino coming in though that should round out the forwards nicely do you think there are any other areas of the pitch that need some reinforcement Again, we're talking about a couple players coming in 
from England and from Germany. Very good clubs, very good players to, to round out that midfield. I think that we actually have a pretty good back lineup on the defensive side. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see just, you know, from, from a Chincota standpoint, knowing, you know, his, his strength is really the, the tactical side of things. What is the chemistry going to look like? Who is he going to lean on from a, a leadership standpoint? Because we lost our three leaders. And, and how is that going to really round out? So that's, in my opinion, what I'm looking to see. And finding out from the man himself, tomorrow, or technically, what, at almost 10 o'clock, which means it's almost 4 o'clock in probably two hours, they're going to be taking <laughs> the pitch and practicing. So on Monday, Monday morning is the first practice for the women's. So we're going to find that out pretty soon here, bud. I mean, they, they've renewed Alicia Tortelli, which I think helps the defense immensely. She's a really good player. In my opinion, she's the one who is going to be the best on that pitch after, after Benetti. Really? Yes, you, I love her. You think she's going to grow into it? I grow into it. She's going to be a national player. She's, she's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And the way that they speak about her over there reinforces that. She, she came in on, on the two games that I saw last year and really controlled that back. Oh, it, it was great. Absolutely great. I, I can only speak so highly about her with, without, you know, just, just kind of rambling on. But, yes, she's a girl. <laughs> do you think that she's going to slot in for Guanyi, or do you like her in the middle more next to middle. Yanni? I like do you her like in her the next middle to Yanni Arnth? Yep. Oh, okay. So who, who, who fills in at that right back spot, do you think? That's, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure because, to be honest, we didn't need to know that up until recently. Mm, fair. All right, but I'm not exactly sure. So your, your idea is that we need more creativity in the middle. So that sounds like Stephanie Breitner and Janelle Cordia, probably. The American. Yeah, who were both very good this past year. I like them a lot. But do you, you know, think, do you think that one of them is probably going to get bumped to the bench? When I was over uh, in Florence the last time, I, I did get to go out to uh, have a couple drinks with, with, with uh, Chincota. And, you know, he told me how impressed he was with our American compatriot, you know, Cordia. You know, she had, you know, a, a rocky start. She had to get to know Italy sure. coming from where she was. And I, I can't remember. I think it was maybe the Netherlands or, or Sweden or somewhere like that. So she had to get to know Italy. And there's always, a, you know, a language barrier. But at that time, Chincota was actually speaking English throughout all his practices and games. All the players were only speaking English. Which is so cool. Which is so cool. Absolutely. Uh, it, it shows how he, he structures things to be inclusive. She was running up and down the right side of the pitch with Ali Iguani. And seeing her being able to play that Fetty role of just being so fast and get to that flag and cross that ball back over Quite a few times, it was amazing, and and I still have it on my on my camera, the video of her getting the ball in the center of the pitch, darting right down the right, crossing it over back into the middle, and I'm trying to remember. I think it was I think it was Benetti who headed it home. Again, she just finds she's not the tallest, she's not the biggest, she just finds a way to get that ball. She is the smartest. I have a lot of reason to believe that they kept. Janelle Cordia for a reason. You think I, that I have a lot of faith in her. You think that she's ready to take over that right back spot? 
She did for a lot of games. She she was playing quite a bit. Yeah, because Guanyu did miss some time injured earlier this year at the start of the season. So in that case, that would mean that there is a spot in midfield open next to next to Stephanie Breitner in the middle. And I love Stephanie Breitner because she's a pit bull in there. She's just, man, she's nasty. She will not stop biting at your heels. She's a great yep. ball winner. The one knock on her that I think most people would agree on is that she is not a particularly creative passer. So do you think that is going to be what Fiorentina target in a new midfielder? Or do you think they're going to they're gonna stick to their current template where those two central midfielders... Yeah. I, I think that they're going to go out. Rough. Yeah, they're, good. They're, they're They're definitely going to go out into the market. I expect, uh, and, and we've seen some rumors already, we're, we're looking to see some final names. I expect that Fiorentina realized they were going to lose players. And, and listen, Larry Amaro, Parisi, I believe that Fiorentina, if they wanted to, probably could have kept them. But again, you know, with Mauro didn't get as much minutes, you know, with, with the evolution of, of Tatiana Benetti. I, I believe at this point, Fiorentina does have a strategy. And we're going to go out, and, and we've seen a couple of players, as I said, linked from Arsenal, linked from Germany, linked from Chelsea, some, some good teams. Like, you know, the, the players that have been used to winning in Europe, the players that you want on your team, we're linked to them. So I, I think at this point, yes, midfield, we're going to go out, we're going to bring in a couple players and they will fill the gaps in my opinion. And it's hard to say knowing that Parisi, that Mauro, that, and, and Guani, you can't replace Guani, but it's hard to say that we'll get better from them just from a sentimental standpoint. But I do, do believe from a tactical standpoint, once we're reaching out to teams in Germany, Arsenal, Chelsea, if we can pull some of those players in, there's a chance to get better. That makes me feel a lot better about the lack of signings. Hopefully we will hear some announcements coming up. One last question for you, Mike. And this is one that I totally misread this past season. I thought that Durante was ready to replace Orstrom in goal. Do you think that this is going to be Francesca's year to finally take her spot between the sticks? Because Stephanie's, uh, Stephanie's been a great servant for the club for years yeah, now, yep. but she's getting older. And Francesca's she really looks like she might be the future of the national team at this point. She's yep. so good. You know, th this is probably, to Americans, to people around the globe, probably new news. Over in Italy, this is going to be recycled news. But yes, Stephanie will be taking a step back. A lot of the question is, will Stephanie want to stay with the club and take that position as a backup? You mentioned it. She's great. She's an advocate of Florence, of Fiorentina. She's been great for the club for, for several years. Will she accept that role or will she want to start for another club? That's up to her and all these contracts year, year to year. So, so she can do what she wants to do. I think a lot of people will have the, the attention on there. But Durante, that, that, that's who we're rolling with. One more thing, I, and I think that before we finish this segment, it's important to mention, as Americans, you know, we do a great job of supporting our female teams, especially the national team. I think it's important for us Americans, the Brits that we have, the, the people in Indonesia, the people in China, Australia, wherever, wherever you're listening from, I think it's important for you guys to realize 
yes, it's great to, to follow the Kieses and the Castrovillis and the Drugowskis and the Vlahoviches and the Ribberies. But we have a really good team that wins cups that for, I don't know, past four years, finishes in the top two every year, goes to Europe, competes, and is worthy of our praise, our acclaim, our time, and our attention. And there's ways to do that, you know, and I think I mentioned it earlier, Fiorentina has a viola club, Go Women's, viola club, Go Women's, and you can search for it on, on, on Twitter, you can search for it on Facebook. If you have any questions, hit us up, we'll help you. I'm a member there, join, you know, join, become a member, cheer for the team. Most games are streamed, so you can actually watch the games stream live on Facebook, on Twitter, on the actual website. There are certain games that are blocked out, but for the most part, they're streamed, and they're great games. And if you're over in Florence, it's not a far drive. Actually, I walked back from Gina Bozzi Stadium to my hotel in Florence when I was there last. Uh, so it's, it's de- definitely very walkable. I, I recommend walking back down, not up. Because you know that's not fun walking up those hills. Um, cheer for the women. It's important. We have a great group of women. We've we, we've had a great group of women for many years, and we're still going to have a great group. Yes, it's going to seem like some fresh faces because the people we're promoting aren't the same that we've been promoting for a couple years. But we have a great coach. We have a great support system. Rocco believes in them, and over the next few years, I think. Based off of what Rocco is investing, you're going to see much more come out of it as a result of that investment. So cheer for them, support them, join Fiorentina Go Women's. If you need help, let me know. We'll put you in touch. And with that, we are going to hit our next ad break, but don't go anywhere because we aren't done and we'll be back after this. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We are very lucky to get Steph here with us today. She writes for our sibling blog, the AC Milan Offside on SB Nation, and also for Semper Milan, and will also be on Unusual Efforts pretty soon. If you don't know Unusual Efforts, really do check them out. They are so good. Steph, how is it going? I'm fine, just enjoying my Sunday. Just finished watching the Milan game. Uh, still reeling from that. I, I'm just glad we didn't lose, and let's just leave it there. That is the kind of sentiment that a Fiorentina fan can absolutely <laughs> understand. But usually we lose those games. Let's just point that out. <laughs> we were hoping to talk with you actually mostly about Serie A Femminile because we realized that we have not really addressed it very much on this podcast, which is obviously a huge oversight on our part. You're a Milan fan. What brought you to be a Milan supporter? Um, it's kind of a long story. It started back in 2007. Back then, I was just out of high school, and I was figuring out what to do with my life. And uh, I was debating over which, which language courses I should take in college because I was majoring in liberal arts. And a political science degree re- requires you to take uh, a foreign language. And so I decided to get into Italian once I got into Italian, I started learning about the country, and um, I discovered that Milan had won the Champions League that year. So I decided that they were going to become, they were going to become my team in Italy, and they just became my my first team overall, the team that made me fall in love with football or, or soccer, depending on where you're from. And it just kind of spiraled from there, and I've I've held on to that love for over 13 years, despite the fact that 
it's obviously been very painful. And my love for, for Syriafta Manila started um, about last year, um, shortly before Italy's successful run in the Women's World Cup. Paying attention to Milan, you, you eventually pay attention to not only the senior men's team, but you pay attention to the other teams as well, like the Primavera and the women's team. And I started tracking their progress. I was also pretty happy to see uh, how, how well players like Giacinti and Giuliano and Taeza were doing for their respective teams during the Women's World Cup. I, like most people, fell in love with the Italian women, the Azzurri, during the World Cup because, um, because I mean, I'm not only a Milan fan, but also an Italy fan as well. And so it was just it was just nice to see Italy in that competition again and doing so well because it's, it had been such a long time since we'd seen them on, you know, the world's biggest stage and see them do so well during the World Cup. And so I just fell in love with them. Like most people, I was heartbroken after they exited the tournament against the Dutch, but it was inevitable, let's be honest. Yeah. And I decided that I wanted to continue tracking the players' progress after the, the World Cup had ended, so I just started, decided to focus a lot of my attention on Serie A Feminile to help the league grow. Of course, being a Milan fan, I focus mo- mainly on Milan since they're, they're the team that I love the most, but I also try to focus on the, the rest of the league to help it grow. Yeah. Now, now can I ask one quick question? Sure. What are your thoughts on the Macarena? Did that add to or actually take away oh, from no. the women's? It has its endearing charm. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember being a little kid when it first came out. And back then, of course, I thought it was fun. But to see it revived again in, in 2019 was just pretty hilarious. It's, to, yeah. me, to me, I think it's adorable. And I think it's just funny the way those white girls dance. <laughs> <laughs> we have actually talked to a couple of the women's players on the Fiorentina squad and asked them that same question they have told us that that was just part of the nature of, it was just adopted, you know, it naturally is part of the, the, the culture of the club. And it just went from there, fans bought into it. You know, being an American though, who saw it over here, it was just like very confusing, confounding, yeah. but watching it, I guess I embrace it. So I gotta say too, after that Alia Wanyi interview you did last year, where she said that her favorite movie ever was Armageddon and then seeing the <laughs> Macarena thing, it's like, what year do the Azzurri live in? Like, guys. They're all stuck in the 90s. <laughs> oh, my God. Things take a while for it to get over to Italy, I guess. I mean, it does. don't get me wrong. I really like it because it does make me feel much younger than I am. And that's a pleasant feeling until I, like, realize how decrepit this body I actually occupy is. But for that, uh, like, fleeting moment, it's very pleasant. But also, guys, Armageddon? Macarena? Really? Oh, come on. It is cute, though, because it is a way for them to bond. But also, I... I understand Laura Giuliani's sentiments. I think she's the one who hates it the most. <laughs> so yeah. I understand where she's coming from on that issue, even though I understand why they do it. And I think, I think it's a, an adorable way for them to bond. So. I never thought that I was going to be Team Juventus goalkeeper, but I am absolutely with Laura Giuliani on this. I guess we should probably start off with this Serie A Femminile episode here, talking about Serie A Femminile, right? And if you're talking about that you're pretty much talking about what is wrong with women's soccer in Italy. And since we're trying to keep this reasonably brief, what would be your top three problems with the league? Oh boy, I only, I can only list three. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think the, the main issue, the, the crux of which, which everything uh, is based upon is the, the lack of professionalism. It's for so many reasons. I mean, the lack of professionalism leads to, it leads to several different problems for the leagues, uh, for the league. The first of which is the, the contracts that they have. They aren't really economic contracts. They're more like, I think uh, one of my friends over at Radio Rossanera described it the best as uh, 
economic agreements. They're basically a, an agreement for a player to stay with the team for a year, but they don't really protect the player. They don't really give yeah. them any contractual obligations. The players are free to leave at the end of the season. So as a result of that, you, you see this high turnover. You see it in Fiorentina and you see it in Milan right now where Milan has just lost two of their Two of their uh, fan favorites, uh, Nora Herum and Sina Hovland, have both left the team. And part of the reason why they were able to leave so easily is because of those contracts. And not only that, the lack of professionalism hurts in other ways. Like it, Since they're not professionals, uh, the women of Serie A femminile are not allowed to file for unemployment benefits, unlike the professional players in Italy. So I have to wonder how, how they're getting by. I mean, I've, I've read stuff about uh, Spadafora giving them bonuses, but the bonuses are like, $600 each, and I'm not sure how that's really going to help these players. So speaking to the, just real quick, or anyone who's not clear on what the lack of professionalism in the contracts are, we have some of the numbers here if you're interested. These women athletes are limited to getting 60 euros a day, only on weekdays, not on weekends, and they also get 77 euros and 47 cents per game. So basically, a 15-year-old lifeguard in the U.S. makes more money per hour, as my wife pointed out when I read her these numbers. And she's yep. completely right. It's insane. Absolutely. Like, it's ridiculous. It, it, ugh, I'm sorry. I'm like not going to be able to put a sentence together here to express my absolute disgust with this system. So what would be your number two problem with this while I just like go and have an aneurysm quietly in the corner? <laughs> it's also the the structure and the way the league is run because if if you look at the way Serie A Feminile is run compared to like the Frauen Bundesliga, the Frauen Bundesliga is based in Germany and obviously German Germans are famously well organized and uh, we saw that in how the Bundesliga was the first major league in Europe to return back to football in the front. Bundesliga was able to return to based on how well organized the, the league in the country is. And Serie A Feminile is just, it's the opposite. So, <laughs> and that leads to so many problems for so many of the players. Which is why so many leave. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's very sad when you lose players like Taiza or uh, when she goes to Real Madrid, but it's understandable why she goes. It's the same thing with Juani. I mean, I wish I, I wish she could have stayed at Fiorentina, just like Zanetti stayed at Inter or Maldini stayed at Milan, but it's just not possible under these current circumstances. So definitely. Well, especially yeah. as they get a little bit older. Like, you know, a lot of these women are, are there in Italy playing for so many years, pouring their heart out every day on the field. But as they get older, they're losing so many years of opportunity to earn based off of their skill set, which is all we ask for, you know, as, as Americans, we want to earn based off of our skill set. Over in Italy, a lot of these women just aren't able to. So when you see these women who are, are pouring their heart out for their club, for their, for their city, and then they decide to leave, how can you ever feel bad about that? Like, you have to buy into that. Yeah, definitely. You can't hold it against them because it's not only an issue of compensation, but it's also um, an issue of exposure as well. Like like I said before, Taeza will be playing for Real Madrid. And the kind of exposure you play for a team like that and in Spain, it just doesn't – you don't have those same opportunities in Italy. It's the same thing with Juani over at Atletico. Infrastructure, it's definitely a problem. And not only that, but – not only in terms of what we just talked about, but also in terms of giving these women the adequate facilities they need to train or the proper fields they need to train on, because it's just infrastructures. Yeah, that's definitely one of the main sticking points about uh, Serie A Feminile. Do you think that the recent trend of men's clubs having 
women's sides as well is going to help with that? Or do you think that's mostly just, I hate to say it, but what amounts to PR for these teams? Well, not too long ago, um, Italy's coach Milena Bertolini actually accused some of the teams in Italy of merely having a women's team for the sake of their image. Yeah. She did. And the reason why she was so mad is because a lot of these teams didn't allow their women to return to training, which didn't give a positive sign for the FIDC to go ahead and resume the league. I don't know if it's true or not that these teams uh, treat their, their women's teams like PR or they're just there for mainly for the sake of image. But it does it does make you think. But for the most part, I think that the, the men's team teams investing in the women's teams is actually a good idea because the, the men's teams have uh, the resources that the women's teams who subsist on their own aren't able to tap into. I mean, if you look at teams like Juventus, they allow their women's team to have access to the same facilities. And so that's part of the reason why the the level of the game in Serie A Femminile has gotten so much better over the years. And it also benefits players. Like when Martina Rizzucci and Cecilia Salvai both had ACL injuries, they got access to Juve's team doctors who were able to help uh, perform surgery on them and help them heal and get back together, get back together. And um, now they're at full strength. They're at 100%. So I, for the most part, I actually think that um, the men's teams have, sponsoring a women's team actually benefits the league because not only for the issues that I mentioned, but also um, because it gives them a certain amount of uh, visibility as well. Like for example, the main AC Milan page, usually um, they usually post stuff about the women um, since they don't have uh, a separate page for their, for their women's team. So all 7 million people who follow the, the main page on Twitter get to see um, the announcements about the women's team, the new signings or who's injured and things like that. So for the most part, I think it's, it's pretty positive for the league. So. I think you make a really good point about the access to facilities and just the, the way that the women's teams and the men's teams interact when the men's teams do treat the women's side seriously and offer them access to the same resources as professionals. I hate saying this so much, but I think that Juventus has done this really well. And that is why a lot of players want to play there is because it seems like they take the game more seriously there and they take the team more seriously. And seeing other clubs maybe not doing that as much, I suppose this would be a great time to call out Napoli and Lazio, who are getting promoted from Serie B this year. But... Actually, um, Lazio is not getting promoted, San Marino. Is that they tried oh, they to actually... Yeah, they actually tried to get promoted. I mean, a little bit of insider information here, but Lazio actually tried really hard behind the scenes to lobby to get promoted this Serie A, and that's why that's why it took a while for San Marino and uh, Napoli to get confirmed that they were going to oh. be promoted to Serie A, but in the end, Lazio failed. If, if, if anything comes out of this, it's proof that the, the women's teams in Italy are becoming a valuable commodity. People are starting to care about them. I mean, because if, if Claudio Latito was bullying the Federation over his women's team just as much as he does for his men's team, it shows you how important the women's teams have become in Italy. So. Ah, God, I, oh, man, I'm glad to hear you say that because I missed that. Because looking at the table when they called it off in Serie, in Serie B, what was it? I think that Lazio were what they were second on the table yeah. they were second but uh san marino had a game in hand too right yeah and so they were promoted based on the algorithm hey forza algorithm those algorithms and they get and you also, every time and also i just i love the idea of san marino's academy team playing in Serie A. that's just really really fun that's awesome whoever hears about san marino playing 
football anymore. Yeah, like that's awesome. And they're keeping Lazio down. Yeah, that's the <laughs> other piece. Uh, we we know some really cool Lazio fans and writers and analysts who are lovely people and really really like genuinely good folks but also i cannot bring myself to support lazio ever under any circumstances seeing unless they play you they even then man I, I i have trouble with that uh we hope for a whole bunch of lightning strikes yeah basically it's forza asteroide at that point the earth opens up and swallows them both whole yeah you know what it has them straight to the bowels of like mortar yeah that would be swell like orodruin is really what lazio juventus was designed for in my opinion not that i'm a big jr tolkien fan or anything boy we should talk about something else now because well i'm just curious so so speaking about infrastructure which is one of the biggest gaps for women versus men taking a look at what rocco camiso is doing right now which is actually investing in infrastructure, both for the men, the Primavera, and the women. So I guess all for it. What are your thoughts on how Fiorentina would be set up to attract women recruits into their team, knowing that they're coming into a training center that's 100 to 120 million euros, I don't know, versus some of the other squads that are set up? I think it helps a lot, actually, because if you have access to those types of high-tech or really well-built and well-organized infrastructures. It creates a great appeal for the players to train in because it's it's a great appeal knowing that they'll be in an environment where they're safe and where they'll be well looked after and they'll have the necessary tools they'll need to improve their game and to know that they'll be well taken care of if they get injured. So I think that's definitely a part of the huge appeal. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was very interesting when you take a look at Alia Gawani and, and the posts and the pictures that she, she took when she was leaving Fiorentina. You know, she went to the Franchi, met with Joe Baroni and gave this speech when she was leaving. It was very moving, very powerful. But then the next day, she's at Atletico Madrid and you can see just the structure that they have for the women is so much better than even the Fiorentina men's have at the Franchi. Uh, it's amazing. It is. I think Rocco has said a few times that the bureaucracy is what holds Italy back and the, the decrepit facilities are something that you would never see in America. And it, it's just something that I've always wondered about Italy. I mean, they obviously love culture. They love football, but I just don't understand why they let their infrastructures, they let their infrastructures go into ruin and they're, they're so against modernizing it in order to improve the game. And also it doesn't cost that much or take that much effort relatively to fix a lot of this stuff. I mean, in terms of infrastructure, last year, Fiorentina women's operating budget was 800,000 euros, which in context is about two thirds of what Cyril Terrio made last year in salary. It isn't that hard to invest a little bit more. If you can pay Cyril Terrio that much you can give a lot more to women's soccer. Also, I would pay him that sucks. much times three just to go away. My first instinct is always to fire Cyril Terrio out of a trebuchet into the sun. <laughs> I think I read in Calcio and Finanza not too long ago that the budget for the Fiorentina women's team is about 850,000 euros. And like you said before, it doesn't really cost that much to invest in a women's team. But unfortunately, they're, they're legally limited in Italy on what they can spend. And so yeah. Fiorentina, Milan, and Juventus all spend around the the same amount of money. I think the only area where it differentiates is um, in terms of bonuses because 
I found out through a friend who spoke to a sports lawyer in Italy that the bonuses for the women aren't regulated, so they can oh. give as many bonuses as they want and how, however much they want. So that's really, what separates. Yeah, that's just, that's what separates the big teams from the other teams. So. I had well, not heard that at all. That is fascinating. It is. And the and the other interesting dynamic is who has access to the whole regional companies that are going to actually pay them to come in and be sponsors. So having women be sponsors for a company, getting that money there as a professional lady, that, that's another dynamic that a lot, a lot of other companies for women's football are bringing into that dynamic. Again, we've touched on this already when we were speaking before we started recording here, but I would like to go on the record as saying both Mike and I are deeply offended that the algorithm bounced Milan from the Champions League in favor of Fiorentina based on the algorithm. I mean, that's got to be real tough to swallow. That sucks. I'm so sorry. Scratch my head. Are we sorry? <laughs> four years. Four years. Champions League. <laughs> okay. Forza Viola. Sorry. Forza Gaza. Sorry. I'm not speaking for Mike. I'm speaking for myself, not Ooh. for Mike. Sorry, Mike. And also, sorry, man, I'm just sorry to everyone listening now at this point. So one of the things that really interested me about Milan this year and what, uh, is how much they struggled specifically against teams from Tuscany. Any idea why that is? Because Tuscany is sort of the epicenter right now of women's soccer in Italy. I mean, Fiorentina is there, Florentia at San Gimignano is there, which is the most successful team not affiliated with a men's side. They're up in fourth, actually, just pipped Sassuolo, which is pretty exciting. Empoli is still hanging on. Do you have any idea what's going on with that? I think we discussed this in um, Alampradoro that unfortunately didn't get published because the, the league got suspended, but I think it's in the Tuscan character to be pretty tough. I mean, if you look at Alia Guagni, she's just one of the toughest people I've ever seen. And so it's that, and Milan just doesn't do well with, with teams that are compact. They can play most of their match match on the on you know on the back foot in a defensive manner. They have a really tough time breaking those teams down. And so I think that's why they... They ended up losing to both Empoli and Florentia because they have – it's not only the, the Tuscan character, like I said, Tuscans just seem pretty tough to me, but also because they have a really tough time breaking down teams that are compact in nature and are parking the bus, if you will. So that's something they definitely need to work on. And hopefully um, the summer Mercado will bring in some players that will, will be talented enough and creative enough to help break down those sort of organized and really tough defenses. What kind of players do you think that Milan should be looking to bring in this summer? I mean, obviously with Valeria Giacinti up top, you've got an absolute bomber. And I mean, I, I love Valentina Bergamaschi because she can play literally any position on the pitch and do it it's quite well. But where would you like to see them reinforce? If it, Let's put you in charge of the Milan women. What, what would you do? Who would you bring in? What positions? Well, first off, I should say that um, from what I understand, from what friends who are close to the team who actually work with the team have told me is that they're they're working on bringing in some big names to reinforce the the team because as you as has been well documented, they've been fortunate. They've had to let go of a lot of players to make room for improvements. But in the process, they also lost some good players like uh, Sina Hovland. She's most likely heading out of the country. Most likely go, 
likely going to France, and I'm sad to see her go, but I understand why she's going. But for the most part, the, the first thing I'd bring in is a strong defender to help uh, complement Laura Fuzetti, who's our starting center back. Um, Laura is basically the glue that holds the back line together, and Milan suffers without her. So I'd, I'd bring in someone to complement her, and I'd also I'd also bring in someone who is capable of playing left back to give Linda Tucheri Cimini our starting left back a rest. She's like the only left back that that we have, the only one who's capable of playing left back. So we'll need someone to replace her on on occasion. And um, I I think I'd also bring in someone who who's more of a creative midfielder. I think that. After Manuela Giuliano left, uh, we're missing someone to fill that creativity. We, we have both Chanch, Dominica Chanch, and Rafilo Jane, but I'd also like to, to see the, the team bring in someone who is as creative as Giuliano was in order to to be the link up between the, the defense in the midfield and to create more assists that will help the, the forward score. And who is also creative, and maybe not the, the midfielder, but someone else is also creative enough to, like I said before, break down these um, strong and compact defenses, which were... Milan's uh, downfall last season. So those are the things that I think that the team needs to improve on the most. And for from what I understand, for what friends tell me, they're they're working on bringing in uh, reinforcements right now. We should we should know who they are within the next few days. So hopefully these issues will be addressed. Are you friends with the infamous anonymous sources? Because I have always wanted to meet that person so bad. <laughs> Calcio's okay. very own version of deep throats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, Steph, out of curiosity, is uh, AC Milan, are they playing out kind of the way that Fiorentina is at this point? We've uh, already seen quite a few of the ladies that are going to be leaving. We've seen a lot of the very public rumors of the ladies who are going to be coming in. Is AC Milan as uh, public as, as Fiorentina is at this point? Um, they are not, actually. They they tend to move on the down low, as we say, as we say, using that urban street slang. But um, I actually read something from one of the, the Calcio Femminile sites today where they criticized Milan's transfer window, wondering why they haven't brought in any, in any big names yet. And I just wanted to go on the record and saying that they're working on bringing in the big names. They just haven't announced them yet. Um, they tend to, as I said before, work on the low or work in silence, if you will, but they're working on bringing people in and, and we should know who they are fairly soon. And if the rumors are true, um, we might see a, a grand coup or one or two big names by the end of the window. So hopefully that'll happen. Well, that's the interesting thing, because at this point, you know, Fiorentina has certainly had a couple big names leaving. Alicia, we've had uh, Alaria, Guan, or Alaria Morrow and certainly um, Alia Guani leave, but we've also heard a lot of names of people who are coming in, some pretty big name people who are coming <laughs> Sorry for that. Outside of the uh, outside of the country, you know, from from pretty big leagues, you know, Germany, from France, from from England at this point, Arsenal. Uh, we've seen somebody who's who's been tied to us. Speaking for a Fiorentina fan of the women's, uh, we're seeing a lot of people who are leaving, but also coming back in, which is which is good to see. You know, we're seeing some some progress as far as women who are coming in from out of the country back into. City of Florence, again, Rocco Camiso, investing into that infrastructure. So hopefully a lot of that is is starting to sit in for women outside of just uh, Italy. Hopefully so. Um, I think the, the league is definitely growing in appeal. Um, it's just getting better and better. And so hopefully more big names will want to come to the league, not only to Florentina, but uh, to Milan and Roma and to, to other clubs as well. So Moving on from the transfer market to what is the obvious next logical step. What are your predictions for next year? Do you think anyone can actually knock Juve off the top spot or is it really just a race for second at this point? 
At this point, I'm just going to be very honest and say that I think Juventus is very well organized because they have people who actually care about the women's game. And uh, the other teams are just in the process of rebuilding right now. And if, if I'm being honest, some of the chaos from, from the Milan men has made their way to the Milan women. And so I think Milan, Milan is in the process of building a strong squad, but it's going to be about maybe one or two seasons away before they're actually before they're actually able to to knock Juve off the top perch but I think that they'll give Juve problems next season as they did uh when we met them last year but uh for the most part I I expect Juve to be dominant next season but I definitely do think that Milan and Florentino will give them a good challenge yeah I think that's an interesting point that you bring up Juventus being knocked down from the top because they have it Top down, they have the support all the way down to the, the fans, supporters. Why is women's football not catching on with anywhere outside of uh, Torino, Torn? Now, and, and I will give the caveat of saying that Fiorentina women's have the first supporters club, Fiorentina Go Women's Viola Club, inside of Florence for, for the women's, but you're still not getting the attraction of thousands and thousands of fans at each game. So why is that not catching on to this point? And to piggyback on that, why is it the FIGC's fault? Because probably is because the FIGC sucks, especially when discussing women's soccer. Patrick Swayze, four hands, double ditto, yes. I think that's due to a variety of different factors. I think it's, like I said before, infrastructure um, because Milan for example they play at the the Vismara and the Vismara only holds a couple hundred people it's actually a training ground and not really you know a stadium so it only holds a couple hundred people they can't let more than uh, a few spectators in at a time and even when they play at the Brian Tail I think that the the crowd for for the Derby I'll have to double check but it was around I mean not not, not the crowd for the Derby I mean for Milan Juve I, I think it was just um under 5000 I'll have to double check that but I think it has to do a lot with the infrastructure and the facilities that these women play at and visibility from people who want I know a lot of people who actually want to watch Serie A femminile but they they can't because it's really hard to watch these games and you have to jump through hoops and be really dedicated in order to watch the women and so I think that inhibits their visibility and also I think a lot of it has to do with the scheduling like for example the famous Milan Roma game was on a Monday and there were a lot of complaints about that that football was not really down to the FIGC it was more the team choices the teams decided that it would be a good idea to play <laughs> to play a game at noon on Monday um, but the FIGC doesn't help the FIGC if I'm being honest here is, is a big hindrance in terms of visibility and scheduling for years they were actually if I'm being honest here the biggest obstacle to the growth of the women's game because they were so reluctant to actually help them grow and still Every, are. Yeah, they are, they still are. Let's be clear here. The, everything that the women have achieved so far, they've done pretty much on their own. Uh, they the this. They really did. Yeah. So for the most part, I think it's like I said before, a lack of interest, infrastructure and the fact that these women are playing at, you know, venues that only hold a couple thousand people and the lack of visibility and, and the scheduling too. I mean, when you play a game like Milan and Inter, the, the second Derby della Madonnina and Serie A on a Sunday, the same day as a men's game, the men's game is obviously going to overshadow it. And most people aren't, aren't going to realize that the, the women's game is actually happening the same day too, especially if the men's team account doesn't do anything to promote uh, the game like Milan did, unfortunately. So that's the issue there in terms of why there aren't thousands of spectators. I, I actually hope it gets to the point where 
thousands of people attending it, but for the most part, it's the infrastructure I, isn't there for it. I don't think we're that far out from that. I mean, the Fiorentina Juventus game this past year had thirty thousand in the Franchi, right, Mike? Something like that. Yeah, close. I think, I think it was thirty-eight, thirty-eight, yeah, close more. to forty. But you're you're right about watching the games. I mean, is someone is someone who lives on the west coast of the U.S. The women usually play at a very early hour on a weekend. Or in Milan and Roma's case, it was three a.m. on a Monday. Yeah, or a Monday, yeah. Which I mean, <laughs> who isn't waking up at three a.m. on a Monday to uh, just to watch a game? That's exactly. just so good. Uh, so, so I guess Steph, you know, here, here's my question. You know, I'm I'm friends with a lot of writers over in Florence who cover the Fiorentina men's game. And they refuse to cover the Fiorentina women's game for one reason or another. It's just not, it's just not acceptable. So if you had to give a reason why people should start covering, fans should start paying attention to the women's game over in City A, what would that be? I actually have several different reasons. I remember reading uh, late last year on John Luca DiMarzio's site when he discussed Serie A Femenile, he, he actually compared it to or actually one of his writers compared it to the EPL um, in terms of speed and the, and the goals scored. So I think that's one of the, the main attractions of the league is the, the style of play. I mean, they play a lot more faster and they score goals and, uh, and how pragmatic the, the men's Serie A can be. And not only that, but I think the main reason why I like Serie A for many is because it's Italian football that I've, the way that I've always wanted it to be, the way I wish it could be, where you have everything that you love about Italy, the tactics, oh, great. The, defense, yep. the the teams and their history and things like that. But the, the women's game is also devoid of the, the more cynical and abhorrent aspects of the men's game, like, you know, the racism, the cholera chance, the yeah. homophobia and things like that. And so uh, whenever I watch a Serie A Femenile game, I don't have to worry about those things. And so that's a great appeal for me is the fact that, like I said before, it's Italian football, the, the way I've always wished it could be devoid of any prejudices and things like that. And also, I think it's because um, they're representing your team. You know, these women's teams are representing your your team. They're flying your colors. You should take pride in them because they're they're representing your team. I mean, they're representing Milan, Roma, Juventus, Fiorentina. And if they do well, that should make you happy because they're they're a part of your team. They are your team, and they're bringing honor to your name and your colors. And so. That, for me, is the main reason why I think people should really pay attention. And not only that, but also it's an issue of human rights and dignity and things like that. I mean, just because they're women doesn't mean that you should discount them or overlook them or be prejudiced against them or not give them a chance. If you support Syria Femenile, you're, you're, also supporting, you're also supporting a cause. You're also um, supporting a movement that is trying to move towards equality or, and empower women in this area. So th- those are the appeals for me, and those are the reasons why I think you should watch them. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Huge thank you to Steph for joining us. Follow her on Twitter at Amicus Arcane. You can also find her writing at the AC Mivon Offside, Semper Mivon, and Unusual Efforts. Our theme song is Great Shot by Windchime Weather. You can hear more of their stuff at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the violanation.com podcast. We're part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.